Welcome to another episode of the Scrumcast. I'm Clayton Langelzikic. I'm Roy Vandewater. I'm Derek Neighbors. And today we're going to be talking about a, uh, a blog post that Derek sent out to the team. It's titled Technical Excellence in Scrum uh, from Dave Rooney. Uh, and Derek, can you just kind of explain a little bit what that post was about and why you sent it out? Yeah, I think it was, um, you know, kind of talking a little bit about, uh, you know, technical excellence um, missing from uh, Scrum, but I think specifically there was some talk about leadership, and so I believe it was Jeff Sutherland had kind of sent an email at one point where there's kind of a famous email floating around where um, they kind of talked about um, the first Scrum team really was an XP team that started implementing Scrum and that all of the um, XP practices in some form were held up during their um, tenure. And that when they actually, when Ken and Jeff decided to take Scrum kind of to the bigger community or to the industry, they thought that, Ken thought that it was worth taking um, the technical practices or the XP portion out of it and focusing just on the Scrum framework, not because XP wasn't important, but because they really felt that if you implemented Scrum properly, you would have impediments. And when you ran into the impediments, that one of the first things you should do is look at the technical excellent pieces, excellence pieces or the XP principles to help unblock the impediments that you got to. And uh, so then there was kind of a, you know, a recap at Snowbird um, recently, a 10-year anniversary. And one of the things that I think came up from a number of people is uh, that were called on the carpet is that if you were not really um, gung-ho pushing towards technical excellence, uh, that you were not an agile leader. That, that agile leadership has basically um, completely fallen apart from a standpoint of they no longer push the technical practices um, in the ways that they should, and it's to the detriment of teams and projects. And then I believe that the author was kind of saying, hey, is it really? Is that really true, meaning that – you know, do most agile leaders actually spend quite a bit of time trying to press, push forward technical practices, but the business and the team pushes back and says, we don't have enough time to pair, or we don't have enough time to test, or it's too hard to get to continuous integration up. And is it the actual teams that are pushing back on the technical practices and not the coaches or the leadership that is failing to communicate those practices? And so that's kind of where the kind of argument or where it was and i thought it was relevant because i i tend to fall on the side of that i think that uh we don't talk about technical practices enough that we just kind of gloss over them yeah so i guess there's two questions here is it a, a case of um you know you take the author's perspective dave Bruni's perspective and you say you know hey we're, we're working really hard to get these technical practices out there but the teams just aren't responding um or is it a matter of Maybe the way that we're delivering that message or the way that we're talking about those things, maybe that's not effective. And, and as agile leaders, we need to find uh, new ways to explain those things to teams. Or, uh, you know, I guess, which which side of the fence do you guys fall on? I think when I was first reading through it and he was talking about, like, well, you know, I, I push these uh, things to the team and I've been doing it for years. And, and every time I get the same excuses, I get the we don't have time to test. I get the uh, we don't have time to pair because we, we're coming up on a deadline. And and that that's something that I've seen a lot in teams as well. And part of what he's saying too is, I keep trying and they keep pushing back. And I, at some point, like when do I give up? And is that is that still a is that a bad on my part that uh, that I kept pushing but I wasn't able to convince them to actually go through with with doing testing and doing pairing and doing any of the other XP practices? 
And I think he try, kind of tries to absolve himself of responsibility. And I don't necessarily want to put those words in his mouth, but I, I do feel like you could almost get that from a re- as a reader, where you're like, oh, it's not my fault because it's the team's fault that they're not doing agile. And I, and I think that that's a dangerous position to take, no matter what you're doing. I always think you should go from the perspective of how can I, what can I do to make it different. That said, I mean, I don't, I don't think it's right for a scrum master or a product owner to dictate to a team that they got to do everything test driven or they got to, di- they have to do everything paired. I think that if you do that type of stuff, then the team's going to rebel against it, and it's been mandated from the top, and and uh, and it won't work. But I have to think that there's other ways to to, to get the team to buy into that. So you know, I, I I definitely think it's a leadership problem and or a coaching problem. And the you know, to me, it's it's twofold. Is um, one is when I look at most people who are currently coaching, um, they've not been technical practitioners for more than a decade and so it's really hard if you know the last relevant project i coded on was a c project for a basically uh, you know a curses interface and i'm working with a team that's delivering you know uh, huge data sets uh, you know to the internet via apis high availability it's it's really really difficult for me to have any kind of um, respect probably from the development team when I say, well, just test and just pair and just this, and I'm not able to sit down and do those things with them. And I think that <clears throat> to me it's a little bit of, you know, I like to use the Dreyfus model. Some people like this, use Shurahi or whatever. And and I think some of it is the Miyagi son thing, right? You know, Daniel son paint the fence, and at some point Daniel son blows up and says, hey bastard, why are you making me paint the fence? And Miyagi's able to show him that, you know, painting the fence was, uh, you know, a, a blocking technique that he needed to perfect. And that's why he broke the fence. And I think that, uh, or painted the fence. And I think that that's, we, we, we fall into two different categories. Is one is we're not able to, or most coaches are not able to actually demonstrate the techniques to the team Therefore, the team tries it once and says, testing is hard, it's too slow, it's way, way slower. Well, when the teams that I'm on that are highly proficient and the coaches that I see that are highly proficient, testing doesn't slow them down at all. So if I could sit down and complete things as fast as a, a pair that isn't testing, that pretty much starts to throw the argument out pretty quick that testing is slower. What I can do is I can frame the argument is, well, because you haven't practiced testing enough, you are currently slower and you need to work on your skills as a tester to the point where testing does not slow you down because it is possible to write tests and not be slower. Mm-hmm. Right? If I can't prove that, that sounds like, yeah, sure, asshole, you just want me to work harder and faster and put all this time in and you're just a liar. right? right. And, and I think some of it goes back to, too, is there are little practices where you might say, you know, you need to do this because I say you need to do this for right now because you don't know better. You're too early in the Dreyfus model to really know but the problem is I think we have a lot of coaches who do that, but then they're never able to pull a team into maturement when Daniel's son says, hey, I'm pissed off. I don't want to do this anymore. They're not able to go, here, let me sit down and show you based off observation and off of my skill what's happened over the last three weeks when you've done this. And this is what you've really learned from that. Instead, they just go, well, don't question me. Just keep doing it. Mm-hmm. And so I do, I do think it's a leadership problem. I mean, I think I think teams have valid valid reasons why they don't, but the best reasons are the worst excuses. Right. Like I've seen the same thing that you're talking about testing. I've seen the exact same thing happening with pairing, where where the, the scrum master whoever comes in and says, "All right, we're pairing now," 
and the two people go to the internet and look up what pairing means. Like, oh, that means we stick two people in front of a computer. And then after a week of taking turns coding while the other person plays on their cell phone, they, they determined that it slowed them down significantly. Well, yeah, no shit. And I, and I think that that's what's missing a lot is, is I agree that if somebody came in and paired with you and taught you how, how the appropriate way is or showed you some different pairing techniques that help you stay focused and, and, and bring out the benefits of pairing, like that makes a huge difference. But I think that when we see a lot of people who are in Scrum Master positions, I, I think especially with a lot of the large organizations that are converting over to Agile, you're getting project managers that take in that role, or you're getting organizations that don't even have Scrum Masters, these are product owners, which are for, former project managers. Like, these people haven't touched code in a very long time. Right. I mean, I definitely think that contributes to the problem. So I, I think right now, at least in the community, there seems to be this kind of delineation between, um, you know, I'm an Agile coach, and I do stuff with the organization uh, versus someone who does technical coaching. And kind of what it sounds like you're saying, Derek, is that we can't afford to have that delineation. And if you're the person that's going to be co- doing coaching of an agile nature, uh, and I guess this kind of gets to um, Sutherland's point, that you really do need to be up to, to snuff on your technical skills. And you knew, do need to be able to demonstrate pair programming, test first, and those kind of things. Um, that's going to... I mean, I think that's going to alienate a lot of people right now who are using the the phrase agile coach because you know that they spent a lot of the last say five years um, driving towards the organizational C level kind of that kind of coaching. They don't have any concept, or maybe they weren't even ever developers, or or they were developers fifteen years ago. You know, how do we kind of realign? Like, what's the what's the new I mean, normal? Yeah. So, I mean, I I think you know, I'll use baseball here as an analogy. I'm a huge analogy guy, and I think one of the things that pissed me off more than anything with the um, uh, Scrum Alliance is CSC application process is their definition. I believe the way that they look at a coach right now today is a coach is basically a scrum master that works with the organization instead of with the team. And I think that's an absolutely bullshit approach to what should be considered a coach. I think you can be a coach and only work with a single team um, and make that team excellent. Um, you know, to me, if you're working with multiple teams, doesn't that make you a manager instead of a coach? And so I, I think we do need to reframe a little bit what we consider a coach. And I think if you look at the XP coach definition and terminology, it's much different than kind of the quote-unquote capital A Agile coach or the scrum coach um, type of designation. And I think that, you know, when I when I look at it, going to the baseball analogy here, is, you know, I don't know any manager currently in baseball that doesn't know all aspects of the game at a pretty deep level, meaning, you know, if they see somebody hitting, they know the hitting techniques. Maybe they haven't played for a while, but they are still up to date on the most current hitting techniques and everything, batting stances, you name it, how the pitchers pitch. You know, they're, they're fully informed, or they have access to staff that is. They have a hitting coach. They have a batting coach. They, You know, if you go to football, you've got a line coach, a kicking coach, a quarterback coach. And I think that's for a reason, and that's because, you know, when it comes to technical things, there are certain things that you can only know from experience. So you don't have to be the best software developer or the best coder or the best tester, but you have to understand the principles about being the best coder, the principles about being the best tester, so that you can get the most out of people who do, are talented and maybe do a little more. And I think we've gotten so far removed now that I think most Agile coaches, like if you tried to ask them to code an application and do it all test-driven, they would be they would fall all over themselves. That would be an impossibility for most of them. 
I do think I can can kind of understand where the agile coaches are coming from by specializing in dealing with the organization rather than the developers directly so much. Because I think we've seen that going into a lot of organizations as well, that a lot of the organization's problems stem at the top. Now, there are definitely technical practices and things we can bring into a team, but a lot of times implementing those technical practices is something that's blocked from, from on high. Like you want to bring in something like pairing, and uh, the team wants to try it, but uh, they, they try it, love it, and then all of a sudden you get management coming in saying, why the hell am I paying two guys to sit in front of a computer like that I don't understand. Yeah, so so I mean I, I absolutely agree in the sense of um, you know sometimes you can't be given you can't be a team can't be empowered mm-hmm. to do the technical practices until the organization is ready. So you have an organizational that says I'm ready to be agile, but in reality that just means I want my team to work faster right. and have less bugs, right? Um, and so sometimes it does take some organizational coaching. And I, I guess to me I think that the quality teams out there or the quality organizations out there are ones that have people that have a, a broad skill set, either have a broad skill set to be cross-functional, or if they're going to specialize, that they have multiple people on the team, just like the baseball team. So maybe mm-hmm. I have a technical, you know, if I go into engagement, I'm going to bring a technical coach to work with the, the teams on the technical issues, get CI, pairing, you know, uh, whole team, collective code order, refactoring, get all that stuff under there. And maybe I've got another person on my team that is kind of the organizational coach and is going and talking to the CIO and the product development team and you know another group um and you know maybe i've got another you know kind of uh process coach or something that's more about the scrum framework and how to how to get the most out of the business value and those kind of things and so if you're going to be specialized i i think it's it's not fair i i think we if we're going to change it we need to say okay there's multiple coaches right so if you're if you're not a coach that can basically you know coach all of the the different pieces then we need to call coaches what they are i'm a technical coach i'm an organizational coach i'm a process coach Right. If I can't do all three of those things, then I need to specifically say what I can do. I, I think that makes a lot of sense because uh, to split it up like that, because I've seen before where we've gone into organizations where it if you start out by helping developers, it's almost like you're seen as a developer as well, and that puts you in the wrong position among the social hierarchy of that organization to help out with, for example, executive-level coaching, where even if you have the knowledge and the ability to do that stuff, you are – you are almost seen as beneath that that role, and you are no longer able to effectively help those people up there. And by splitting up that into multiple people, even if those people are able to to work across those different fields, it almost makes sense to have those be distinct different people, just so that they can fill their own slots in the social hierarchy of the company. So it sounds like we're kind of agreeing that uh, to f- to further agile, the coaching and leadership in agile needs to be in tune with uh, technical excellence. Uh, is that a fair statement? Yes, and don't confuse technical excellence with software craftsmanship. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good distinction. Okay, to change gears a little bit, we wanted to go to Twitter and uh, look up an interesting tweet. So this one comes from uh, Sandy Mamoli. That's uh, at S-M-A-M-O-L. And she says, uh, Dear manager, it's self-organizing, not self-managing. We still need you. Cheers, your team. Uh, So what do you think? Managers in Agile, do we need them or can we throw them out the window? I don't. I don't know quite what the the tweet is were you trying. Te- to were you imply. tempted for a second to th- thinking about throwing the manager out the window? I mean, that might be kind of fun. Cause you to pause for a moment. Um, I I think that tweet almost sounds like a cry from help from the team. I don't know that it's hard to tell that from if the person is the manager that's saying that. No, I, I think they're saying that um, you know we still need managers. I don't know who, if this person's a manager or not. It, but. That that's I think that's a very difficult thing to say because there's so many different views of what mm-hmm. a manager's roles are, right? 
and and I think that some manager thinks it's their their role to com- completely control everything and then uh, figure out who it is that screwed up and like that's all that matters. And there's other people who think it's very important that they protect the team from the outside and that they need a lot of team to make their own decisions and kind of provide a safe environment for them to do that type of stuff in. And I think those are two entirely different roles that can both be called manager. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely think, you know, to me, the two key terminologies they use for for me that set me up was self-organizing versus self-managing. And I think that that's something that a lot of people um, get confused. There's a lot of times a team will be given the empowerment to say you're self-organizing. To me, the delineation is if you are self-organizing, you get to choose how to do the work. If you're self-managing, you get to decide which work to do. Mm-hmm. And it's very difficult to be on a team where you get to decide what work to do and you get to decide how to do the work. That is a lot of leeway. And it takes, I think, a very disciplined team or a very disciplined set of people to be able to work in that style. And I think what this person is saying, I don't want to put words in their mouth, is that you know, in a team that has been given uh, the ability to self-organize, um, that management is not stepping up and telling them what needs to be done. They're just saying, hey, man, come on, perform. And the team is saying, we want to perform, but you haven't told us what you want us to do. And that's, I think a lot of people have a lot of anxiety. I know in Integrum, we've we've had periods in our culture where we've allowed, allowed things to be fairly self-managed, um, either by design or by accident, neglect. And I think that we definitely saw people's um, uneasiness really grow because they don't there's a lot of doubt am i doing the right thing am i supposed to and so if if you have a structure of kind of a boss but your boss isn't telling you what to do or what will make them proud this would be like a parent saying like do good kid like what what would make you proud dad i just do good just do good stuff and i'll be happy you know that's very difficult to get approval and so i think teams crave approval and you can't have that if you are self-managed and one kind of example that i keep seeing uh, come up in a few different places is the question of, uh, on a, in an Agile team or on an Agile team, uh, how do I gauge individual performance, you know? And so uh, one thing that keeps coming up is that, you know, that's the, the manager can assess individual performance, even though the teams are, you know, working together as a team. Uh, there's still a role for management. So I think this question is kind of topical. It comes from both sides. You know, there's probably lots of managers who are in organizations that are, you know, adopting the Agile and they're kind of wondering, hey, where do I fit into this whole thing? Uh, and there's also some, I think, some people on the teams that are kind of like what Derek was saying. They're uh, craving that, um, you know, I don't want to say approval, but you know, they, they they need some direction and, and, uh, and feedback. Probably, yeah, they, yeah, right. So, okay, thanks, guys. Thank you.